Well, all right, here we go, everybody. Welcome to the 80th episode of Sports Cards Live. And this one is a doozy, I tell you. I know you've all been waiting for this, so thank you very much for joining. Let's get to it. No pre-show tonight, guys. Tonight's guest, this is the man who sold both PSA 10, Wayne Gretzky, rookie cards, the Opeachy and the Tops, in December for a combined $2 million. He's also one of the best interviewers out there. My two favorites are the interviews with Mark Cuban and Kobe Bryant. The guy is no slouch. He's a lifelong collector. Let's bring him out right now. Patrick Bet-David, welcome to Sports Cards Live. Jeremy, it's good to be on with you. It's it's awesome to have you, Patrick. I uh, As I said, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You know, I reached out to your team back on, I believe it was December 23rd. I reached out to you. You said to me, call the team. I did. And here we are about six weeks later. It took a little bit of a little while, my man, but I'm super happy to have you with us tonight. We got a great audience. This is going to be a great show. But listen, we are on a limited time budget. We've got about 40 minutes with you and I want to jump right in. So let's set the tone here because I want the audience to understand that you are a collector, but you have your eyes, you have your eyes on the ball. You know what's going on. I want to ask you, in your opinion, and for you personally, in your collecting experience for the greater overall hobby, what is the role in the import and the importance of childlike tendencies among collectors? I mean, at the core, at the real correct collectors, like the sincere, genuine ones, that, I mean, that's where it's at because, you know, what's the big deal about looking at a piece of paper? You know, if you look at a piece of paper, what's the big deal about that? But then you sit there and you look at the history of it and you realize what it is you know when 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 i uh the other day i took the kids and i said guys i want to show you the cards every once in a while i take them out i said i want you guys to see this take a look at this you know 1933 psa 8 you know babe ruth gaudia so well, look at this here so you realize this thing is nearly a hundred years old it's a hundred years old daddy it's a hundred years old wow who is this man babe ruth some say he's the greatest of all time. He would point the finger and hit the home run. And people would go, and it's a myth. Did it happen? Did it not happen? Everybody debates it. But this is the babe. He was a pitcher. He was a great pitcher. He was a great hitter. He led the league in home runs with 60 until Maris came and took it away. And people hated Maris for it. There's a story behind it. There's emotions behind it. And, um, you know, for someone... Specifically, someone like me, and I was in Germany. Collect first time I collected cards was in Germany, and I had no clue what I was doing. I was ten years old. Then I came to the states, November 28, nineteen ninety. So if you think about nineteen ninety, the main cards everybody wanted in ninety one was uh, 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 the David Robinson eighty nine hoops, which was a big hit. If you you know, for me, it's Sergei Fedorov, Yarmir Yager. Those were like everybody wanted those cards. So. I remember one time as a kid, I when I opened up a pack and I got a stadium club shack. I can't believe I got the shack. Oh my gosh, you know, it was like 40 bucks or something. And uh, we're coming back, you know, you're trying to hold the card and you put it in the sleeve. Don't touch it. Just look at it. You know, it's there is a there's a ton of childlike aspect to the collector collecting, you know, space. And I'm definitely one of them. I uh, my my wife thinks I'm crazy, but it is what it is. I've often said, you know, that uh, at the foundation of the hobby, Patrick, is the nostalgia. And when I've heard you talking about childlike tendencies before, it made me realize that, you know, while it's nostalgia that drives the collector, I think it's those, it's like you mentioned, it's those childlike tendencies that fuel the nostalgia. Does that, does that make sense to you? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. There, 
you know, um, to me, as you age, if you think about what makes a country uh, emotional, emotional, keyword is emotional, right? What is it? Rituals. What makes one be so proud of their ethnicity and nationality? I'm a Syrian. I'm Armenian. I'm born and raised in Iran. If you are around me, you will see a touch of it everywhere. You know, with my painting, I have uh, uh, seven, eight characters in that painting. Uh, I'm in it at the top. I'm whispering to Tupac. It's a 15-foot painting. I have Senna on the side, Driver. I have MLK. I have Milton Friedman. I have uh, uh, John F. Kennedy. I have Lincoln. I have, uh, uh, you know, uh, Einstein. And the Shah sitting in the middle and they're having a conversation in a vault. You know, there's emotion to I was born in Iran. I'm a revolution baby, 1978, you know, and then you go look at if whatever denomination you are. If you're a spiritual person, Catholicism, Judaism, Christianity, there is rituals. And I think with sports, there's a lot of rituals. There's a lot of uh, tradition. There's a lot of uh, affinity. Like you go back when. When uh, uh, Kobe scored uh, uh, the last game he played and he scored 60 and Shaq's on the sideline saying, go for 40, go for 50. He goes for 60 against uh, Hayward. And you're like, what is this guy doing? And it's me and my sister. I just taught a class in front of 400 people in Dallas, Texas. And I finished the meeting early to come back and see the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. And I'm watching the TV, my tears. I can't even control myself. And my sister who's older than me saying, why are you crying? I said, I said, when I think about Kobe, I think about my dad. Why do you think about you? I said, my dad and I, if we had anything we did every week, we scheduled to watch a Kobe game together for the seven, eight years we lived together. It was Kobe. Many times when my dad had a heart attack, it was because of Kobe. You know, my, I'm literally, I would take my dad to the hospital because we're sitting there fourth quarter and they're going up against Iverson and Iverson beats them game one with Tyron Lue. I'm like, oh my gosh. And my dad, you got to take me to the hospital. I take him to the hospital. So there is emotion, especially if you're in it, if you're in it. There's certain people that, you know, will say things like, look, I have no clue what you're talking about. None of this stuff does it for me. But if you are in it the way some of us are in it with sports, rituals, superstitions, it's, it's, you can't describe it. You can only feel it. It's a very weird thing, but someone who's in it knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, man, that, that, that's exactly right. I, I, I think it, I call it the, the collector gene, you know, you, you kind of, you have it, it's based on exactly what you're talking about, those childhood experiences. So that's awesome. So listen, you mentioned earlier, uh, and I've heard you say it before, Yarmir Yager, Sergei Fedorov, these rookie cards, and you know, I'm a hockey guy, predominantly, I'm 90, I'm like, well, I'm 80% hockey, 20 baseball, basketball, football, and miscellaneous. So when, when I hear you, and you put those cards up on your video, I'm like, this guy talks my language. He let Yager, <laughs> Federer, you remember, you know. And those were those were huge cards in 90, 91, early 90s there. So that's pretty awesome. So listen, when you, let me ask you this. When you acquired the two Gretzky PSA 10s in 2017, I believe it was, obviously you had a bit of an affinity towards hockey cards uh, based on your, you know, just your awareness of Federov, Yager and, and others, I'm sure. But what was your mindset at the time that caused you or, you know, motivated you to purchase those two cards? You know, up until that time, I, I hadn't, uh, I had a few, you know, $100,000 cards and $200,000 cards. But, you know, I didn't have a holy grail, if that makes I had one holy grail, which I let go and I regret till today. I had Kobe's. There's only two of them. BGS 10, Topps Chrome Refractor. 
uh, rookie, which I think it's going to end up selling for, I don't know what the number is going to be. It's going to end up selling uh, six, 700, could potentially go for 800. I sold it to a Chinese investor back in 2010, 2011 for $17,000. Okay, think about that. You know, every time you're into this, you have those stories as well. But I needed that money to put into my insurance company because I was about to go out of business. I was deploying and selling everything that I had. But the Gretzky one, you know, when I saw that, for me, uh, I, I, uh, I have a sense of the historic. To me, when people ask, you know, what drive, if you ask anybody that works with me and has worked with me for five plus years and you ask, what drives this guy? Everybody will say purely history. Uh, there, there's a sense of a historic to me. You know, I know when I held a card uh, and I'm like, you know, I don't know how many people are going to own this PSA 10 card. It's going to be a few people. Everybody that does, they're going to appreciate what card this is. And I'm added to that list. And you know what? This, I don't know how long it's going to last. If it's going to be a year, two years, three years, I'm going to enjoy this when I'm going through it and I'm taking a look at it. Why? Because remember, it's a holy grail. So holy grail is different than second year, fourth year, first year PSA 8, pop 9 or pop 30. A pop two, whole, it's, it's a different story that you're talking about. And uh, yeah, when I saw that and the guy called me, I'm like, uh, what does this guy want? He says he wants, uh, uh, you know, $600,000. I said, I, I can, how long does he need the money? 24 hours. I said, I'll do 520. He says, will you do 540? I said, sure. <laughs> and I sent one of my guys, he, by the way, wonderful guy. Till today, when, when a card sold, he sent me a text, classy guy. I'm glad you made the money on it. Congratulations to you at the time. When I sold it to you, I sold it at the right price. And uh, yeah, I got the cards and I looked at them like, wow, what a beautiful card. And the CEO and president of PSA was there to re-put it in a new holder. And if you go to PSA's headquarters in Newport, the wall paper is that card, which if you go to PSA, the wall, when you go into the waiting room, the, the front desk right here, the wallpaper is a PSA 10 Gretzky card. So you know, and, and I'm a guy, I was at the first, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, Stanley Cup that the Kings won. I was at that game. I sat right next to who's the good-looking uh, soccer player from UK, I believe. What is his name? The the, uh, the one. Um, oh, Beckham. Beckham. Beckham was there with his daughter, and it was me and a friend of mine. And we said, oh, my gosh, the Kings won. So, you know, that was pretty epic. And I was in L.A. when. The whole scandal took place with Canada and they, you know, the guy, they sent the owner of the team, you know, death letters. How could you lose Gretzky? How can and he came to L.A. Rock? Oh, my gosh. You know, so, you know, all of that is history. You know, you connect the dots and it leads to a story. So, yeah, it was a special moment when I first held those two cards and I said, wow, you know, I, I got a, I got a holy grill in my hand here. Did they come? Did the tops and the Opeachy, did they come together in one package? Yes, I bought both of them together. You did, hey? So yeah, that, that's pretty crazy. I, you know, we all, I'm in Canada, by the way. So everyone up here, we know, we remember when Gretzky got traded to LA. I remember the news coming on and, you know, even though I wasn't a fan of the Edmonton Oilers, he was, he was, you know, I was a Winnipeg Jets fan back in the day and he used to beat us all the time. So it wasn't, uh, but we still, we still, we still shed tears. He was a national treasure. So to lose him to LA uh, professionally, it, it hurt, but you know what? It was great for hockey. He's and a, I think he's a tough guy to hate, you know, like, Kobe was an easy guy to hate because that's what he played. You know, when he first came in, he was kind of playing loose. And then all of a sudden, when they're like, okay, you're a bad guy, they're like, okay, I'll play the bad guy. And he played the bad guy, right? But, you know, 
Jordan was even hated. Even Brady's hated. I mean, Brady's hated a lot. Yeah. Who hated Gretzky? I mean, I don't know how many people hated Gretzky. You, <laughs> you know, he didn't put it in your face. You know, he was just like, he always had the right guys around him, whether it was McSorley and all that to, to, to protect him, of course. Uh, but there was something different about Gretzky, very different about his personality, that even a Winnipeg guy would, you know, still be saying, this is a Canadian guy, you know, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, he he had a lot, you know, th there, he has his haters uh, because some people would call him a whiner or this or that, you know, who didn't ever get into the corners yeah. and muck it up. But that wasn't what he was supposed to be doing. He was there to score goals and set up goals, and he was the best at it for sure. He also had, don't forget, Dave Semenko was there to protect him too for yes. many uh, years of his career, for sure, for sure. Okay, so let's move on now. You, you bought the two cards. You held them for a couple of years. I want to know next, if you can tell me this, what was the mindset when you decided to sell them and how did you uh how did you come to that decision was there a catalyst that drove you to let them go there are a few things in my life that you can't buy from me but it's a few things it's not a lot of things and it's probably not what people want to hear if something has a sentiment with me from my family or blood or all that other stuff i'm emotionally connected to it for everything else I see myself as somebody that's part of the history of owning this at one point, and then it gets passed on to somebody else. And there's a business element to it as well on how I feel with the timing of when I sold the card uh, uh, and why I sold the card. Uh, I knew where the other owner was at and what he wanted uh, uh, for his card and what he was selling for it. You know, the other PSA 10 OPG, he was asking 750 and you know that's a number that he was asking for and then i looked at where the market was going and 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 the card market has a similar uh uh way of looking at things that are overpriced and things that are not overpriced in stocks we call it pe ratio or shiller pe ratio if you look at pe ratio price to earnings you take the price of the stock you divide it by the earnings and you get a pe ratio for example, right now, I think Facebook's PE ratio is 29. I think Microsoft is 39. I think Amazon is 76. But Tesla right now is 1,256. Tesla's an overpriced stock. Now, obviously, everybody's banking on Tesla because of Elon Musk, and that's why they're shorting it. So the card market has also an element of that. And I know, you know, most people don't want to hear that, but, you know, you have to also understand what's going on with the card market. I think long term with the card market, it's gone, meaning skyrocketing in the next 10, 20, in ways we've never seen before. Cards are finally being priced uh, where they need to be priced. I mean, last March, a Jordan PSA 10 1986 Fleer sold for $48,000. It's not a $48,000 card. That was just nine months, 11 months ago when it sold for $48,000. And then it went to ninety six. And then it went to 151 December. It sold for 151 just two months ago. It sold for 151, and now it sold for 738. I don't know if it's a 738 thousand dollar card today, but I also know it's not a 48 thousand dollar card. So, for me, it was simply making a decision and saying, I think it's time to move on with this. My eyes are on one card. There's one card I would like to own once in my life, and then move on. Uh, and that one card is a 52 tops Mickey Mantle. That's been the one. I would look at the Beckett every single And I remember what the price of the card was in the Beckett back in 1991 with Juan Gonzalez on the cover of the Beckett. I think it was 94 when he won MVP. 
$25,000. And now that card is a 10 to $15 million card. Some are saying 20 to 25, but 10 to $15 million card. So I'm solving for that one. I know the three buyers. I know who's not selling. I know who has the best PSA 10. And I know who doesn't have the best PSA 10. That's my interest. If it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, great. But I'm kind of solving for the holy grail of holy girl. I, I Initially, I wanted to harness Wagner. Bruce McNall and I had a call together. You know Bruce McNall. He was the former owner of the Kings. And him and Gretzky at one point owned the Hannes Wagner card that they bought for $451,000. I want to say 1991 or something like that. And yeah. and I'm not interested in the Hannes Wagner, but I'm interested in the uh, in the 52 Tops Mickey PSA 10. But that's kind of what it was for me. I said, you know what? Somebody's got to enjoy this more. I'm going to go for what I really want. So that's how the decision was made. So the, the the 52 tops mantle PSA 10, that's your holy grail. That's the, that's the biggest card and you want. Well, that's a question I like to ask my guests. So I'm glad that you volunteered that information up nice and early here. So are you aware that the tops Gretzky that you sold was purchased by Rally, the fractional ownership uh, company, and that they just filled it for $800,000? They just filled it for $800,000? Yeah. So I sold it to them for seven twenty. So they made what, eighty grand on it? Well, yeah, yeah, I suppose. I actually thought that was quite a modest lift on it because there's not much room there for them for just the, their cost of business. So I, I thought that that was, uh, a, a, actually, I think it's respectful, uh, respectable that that's all they offered it for. But I want to ask you, you know, just tying that into with, with all these new fractional ownership companies, all these new offerings with the injection of private equity into the hobby, I've heard you say 150 million or is being deployed into the hobby by this group, maybe 50 million there, mm -hmm. 20 million there, whatever it is. You know, you, you alluded to it earlier, but based on what we're seeing at the high end of the hobby, what do you think the impact of those new models are going to be on the hobby long term? Oh, I think it's going to be great. And by the way, good for rally for, you know, for, uh, for them to, uh, buy the card long term that's not a million dollar card long term that's a five ten million dollar card i mean you're talking about a pop two you're not talking about jordan pop 300 yeah. that sold for 738 you're talking about a pop two so if they hang on to that card they're going to make a lot of money uh with the card but what do i think about what they're going to be doing i think they'll be bullying a little bit i think there's a little bit of manipulation going on i think there's a little bit of uh, uh bullying going on because they can you know there's no the hearings for Wall Street bets and GameStop just started this week. Like they don't even know what the hell they're gonna do with Reddit. And what are you gonna do with these Wall Street bet guys with 8.2 million people that are on there saying, "Let's go get you know Wall GameStop and screw these, you know Melvin Capital or Seth Cohen guys and you know the Citron the hell with them." And then boom, you know Melvin Capital loses. You know, some say half a billion, some say three billion. To the point where Seth Cohen had to come in and him and a couple partners, you, you know, bailed him out with $2.75 billion. Why? Because the small guys teamed up and said, let's go against the big guys. So, but for the longest time, the big guys could manipulate. The longest time. That's how they make their money. And if those guys are not getting into the cart industry, you have to know that they're going to manipulate. For example, if you own 50 of the Jordan PSA 10s, 86 Fleer, and say it's a $200,000 card, why wouldn't I buy that card at an auction at $600,000, $700,000? I don't care if I lost $500,000. Now, everybody in the market is writing 50 different articles in a day saying the Jordan's really worth 700. It's going to a million. We own 50 of them. Let's lose one at 700,000. 
So that's $500,000 loss, but we got 49 that we're going to make 500 on. We just made 10 million bucks. So, so the ability to, for the math wizards to come in and manipulate is very high. I don't see this industry being regulated anytime soon. I don't see it being regulated, you know, like when I say anytime soon, I mean, I don't see it being regulated. Maybe never, maybe not during you and I being alive. So 10, 20, 30 years. So what does that do? Uh, it kind of gets the cards away from the emotion goes away. It becomes logical. Now it's more logical. Now it's no longer emotion. Now it's no longer childlike. Now it's more, hey, I'm going to buy and I'm going to make da, 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 da. It's more the, you know, the, the hedge fund mentality, the stock fund mentality, which I'm in that world. I'm a guy that's a series 766. So I know the wiring of running a business and saying I still got a profit from it. But uh, I, I think... Uh, you know, you know, what else is going to come in when that takes place? You know, um, sometimes it takes the fun out of the game uh, because something that is supposed to be only be worth 50K, now it's 300K. It's not a $300,000 card, but they've been able to make it a $300,000 card because they're the market maker, but it's a $50,000 card. So a person that wanted to buy that card for 50, they can't. But they don't want to buy the car because they want to flip it. They want to buy the car because they want to own it and appreciate the car for a few years and tell the story to their kids. So a little bit of that's going to go away. Um, but I also don't see this being, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, Jordan's car going to go straight to three million and five million and ten million. Listen, 86 Fleer, Jordan, Last Dance comes out, 738, and it's a pop 300. The math just doesn't make any sense for it to be a pop 300, $738,000 card in today's economy. So somebody's going to play this video and says, you were wrong. Yeah, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now. I'm saying in today's economy, but never forget the basic rule of Warren Buffett. It's a very basic rule of Warren Buffett. When everyone's greedy, be fearful. When everyone's fearful, be greedy. A lot of the stuff I buy I buy when people are afraid. Like the moment COVID took place, first 30 days of COVID, I bought a few hundred thousand dollars worth of cards. I just went out there and I said, hey, cash, man, people are scared right now. I'm not. What do you need? Boom, 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 boom. But today I'm a little, I, I just bought a nice card. I just bought um, uh, a, uh, uh, what did I just buy? Zion Williamson National Treasure three out of five you'd say you know uh, uh $350,000 card I just bought in the last couple of weeks why there's only five of them uh uh, uh you know obviously the, the big one still hasn't come out what's going to happen to Zion the next couple of years it's a risk that 350 could be a million in the next 6 12 18 months or that 350 could be 200 and I'm gonna have to sit on it for the next five years which I'm pretty patient but I'm good either way so there are still opportunities out there to you know hedge your investments, but uh, it's a different game today. It's a very, very different game today. People have to be a little bit more, not saying the word optimistic, a little bit more calculating and strategic today rather than just winging it today. Yeah, you know, we've seen the market, just the overall, the index, if the indices, if you will, really skyrocket in the last 12 months, let's say. The growth rate has been extraordinary. And I don't believe the growth rate is sustainable. And I don't think anybody thinks the growth rate is sustainable for much longer. But 
what what I'm at, what I want to ask you is once the growth rate plateaus, once once the values plateau, do you think that those new higher values are sustainable or do you see any sort of retraction? What do you see happening? So so I could be very wrong with this. I could be very, very wrong with this, and I'm okay with that. I've been wrong many times in my life. My goal is to be right 51% of the time. As long as that's the percentage, I'm trying to increase it from 51 and up. Now, I can't go to 100%, but, you know, I want to be up there in the 70s and 80s. This is this is my, um, uh, uh, you know, opinion on this. Okay. If you buy a... 1951 or 52 Willie Mays. Long term, you're going to lose a PSA 8. No. If you buy a Pete Rose card rookie, PSA 7, PSA 8, you're going to lose long term? No. Is he going to eventually be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Will it be when he's alive? I don't know. So you, you have to know, like, what investments as a financial advisor I would sit with the client. And you would sit down with the client and you typically ask him three different questions. So you have a few different questions. So you say, okay, when it comes down to your investments, you have three different buckets, short-term, mid-term, long-term, right? Okay, what's short-term? Emergency fund, money market, anything that's liquid, zero to 12 months. Okay, great, cool. So what do you have in your short-term? I advise you to have six to 12 months, depending on what your lifestyle is. I like 12 to 24 months, but at least you want to have six to 12 months of your expenses saved. So if your expenses are 10 grand a month, I want to see you have sixty to one hundred twenty thousand dollars in cash savings. Okay, we have it. Phenomenal. What's midterm? Midterm is twelve to ten years. This could be. I'm planning for my daughter's wedding. She's twenty-seven, and in our tradition, we have to pay for it. And she's been with this guy for five years. He proposed. I think it's coming up. I have to be ready to spend a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, great. You know, you're Armenian. You're whatever you are. Let's write that down. Okay, great. You know. Midterm, uh, we are thinking about buying a bigger house. Okay, this, okay great. We, we Midterm, we'd like to get some mutual funds. That's going to, okay, great. Then you go long-term. What's long-term? What do you have in long-term? I have 401k. I have a, a defined benefit. I have pension. I have this. I have social. Okay, long-term is what? 10 on. 10, 20, 30, whatever. Your age is 40. So you go on. Am I going to lose long-term with pre-70s cards? No way. Am I going to lose long-term with these new, sexy, four, $500,000 cards? Absolutely, I could. Absolutely, I could, long-term. So for me, you know, I understand us getting excited about some of the players today. I get it. I mean, I've, I've bought, you know, a million dollars worth of cards for today's players. But I know it's, it's <laughs> okay, so when you buy a, a mutual fund, you got three different types of mutual funds. you got small cap, mid cap, large cap. Small cap is small companies. Mid cap is large companies. Large cap is larger companies, right? So what's a large cap? Okay, uh, Microsoft, Facebook, Walmart, those are large cap. Okay, if today Amazon's worth, say, $2 trillion, how long is it going to take till they're worth $4 trillion? One year? I don't think so. Two years? Three years? I don't know. Four trillion. Eh. So if I put a hundred thousand, when is it going to be two hundred thousand? Maybe seven years. Twelve percent rate of return. Okay, cool. I'm still good with that. But it's not like it's going to double three, four, five times. Now, if I invest in a small cap company, you know, like for example, Clubhouse. The new app just came out called Clubhouse. Everybody's doing their you know podcast there, right? Okay, Clubhouse just raised a hundred million dollars, and a hundred million dollars they just raised. At a valuation of a billion dollars, so the company's worth 900, they put 100 million dollars, that's a billion dollar company, Clubhouse is blowing up, 
that's a small cap company. And what if you put $100,000 in there with a billion dollar company and that company is a $50 billion company come five years from now, your 100,000 is all of a sudden 5 million bucks. That's pretty cool. So all the new stuff I consider small cap. All the, you know, the PSAA Jordan, large cap, you're fine. The, the Wayne Gretzky, whoever that bought those two cars, I knew what I was selling. They're fine. Who you, uh, a, a Bill Russell rookie card, you know, you're fine. Any of that stuff, you're fine. Uh, and then, you know, you're kind of playing the risk game. What kind of risk tolerance do you have? If you don't have a lot of risk tolerance, don't play with today's money. If you have risk tolerance, if you are more safe, conservative, go bank on the stuff that is bankable. Some of the stuff today is too risky. Yeah. Okay. Fair stuff, man. I appreciate it. Okay. I want a couple more questions I want to get in before you have to go. The first one, when we talk about the market and you just addressed it, but I want to know if you're current on these, uh, these sort of uh, debates, if you will, between Gary V and Vegas Dave, I know you're familiar with these guys. Uh, do you have a take on, on what their, their sort of opposing views right now? What is their opposing views? I'm curious. Vegas Dave says in 18 to 24 months, the market's going to crash like nothing we've ever seen before. And Gary V says we're just at the beginning. Yeah, I, I, uh, okay, so I agree with both of them, but here's what my argument is for both. I do think the market's going to crash, but how long? Is it going to be a permanent one? Absolutely not. This is, listen. <laughs> I'm talking to clients about deploy a small percentage of your money into cards. You know, people are like, okay, I'm going to put 1% of my money into Bitcoin. Fine. Cool. You got a million bucks. You want to put 10 grand in Bitcoin? Go for it. One to 5%? Do it. Go for it. Okay. What percentage should I put into precious metals? I think you should consider putting 2 to 5% of your money in precious metals. Gold. Who buys gold? What is gold about? Gold is about Armageddon. Whoever is buying gold is project predicting a what? A massive market crash. Let's not let's not confuse the two. So, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. You're buying because you're hedging is why you're buying precious metals, right? So, cards. Uh, are they going to go the way they've gone the last twelve months? Absolutely not in a twelve month period. Absolutely not. Zero. So why? What do you mean by this? Okay, so go and think about what dramatically changed in the last 24 months, dramatically changed in the last 24 months. So if you go back and you think about the first ever national debate on TV by presidents that was on TV that changed the game was between Nixon and Kennedy. Prior to that, it was only radio. Nixon was ridiculous on radio, terrible on TV. The first time they did the debate on TV, he didn't shave. He hadn't he didn't look good. He was, didn't get the right amount of sleep. He looked terrible. He was sweating. They didn't do makeup on him. The night before, Kennedy went to a tanning bed. He did his tanning. He did his makeup. He shaved. He got 10 hours of sleep. Camera turns on. Kennedy looks presidential. Nixon doesn't look presidential. The game officially changed on how you pick a president. It was voice before. Now it's voice and face. And you know what it is? You know what's happened the last 12 years with how you pick presidents? Twitter and social media. Yeah. The Obama era. The Trump era, right? It's a completely different game. Okay, so what's dramatically changed the last 12 to 24 months that caused cards to blow up? Private equity guys got it. And now you can buy shares of stuff, cards. You don't buy the whole card. You buy shares of cards. That's a dramatic event. 
that we're talking about. So Gary's right in the fact that something just happened that changed the game. Yes. But Dave is also right because 48,000 to 738 in 12 months? Absolutely not. That's not sustainable. You you think a 738 is going to, you know, okay, 738 on 48 is what? If you think about 738 uh, uh, on 48, it's 15 times, yeah. okay? You know, you know what it is if we take 738 times 15 times? It's an $11 million card. You think a Jordan Pop 300 card is going to be $11 million card? It's not. Okay, so what happened the last 12 months, never going to happen again. The next time it happens is because something, another weird event took place that's technologically advanced, and we have to be prepared for that the day it comes. So I, what I'm hearing you say is the growth is unsustainable, which the growth rate is unsustainable. I completely agree with that. But are you saying then that you think the Jordan for $738,000 is going to come down in value significantly over the next couple of years? 100%. Yes. Here's why. Okay. So I went to a Rolex store today. I want to buy my, my, my wife a Rolex. It's her birthday tomorrow. She's born on Valentine's Day. Okay. And she's 21 weeks pregnant and it's our fourth one. And it's not like she's in her 27 baby or 30s. She's turning 42. Okay. It was a risk when we got pregnant. It was supposed to be twins. We lost one of them and one of them made it and we're expecting a baby. So I went, I'm like, hey, let me buy you a watch. You know, would, I'm not a watch person, baby. Let's look at a watch. Okay, babe, this is the only one I like. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this doesn't like jewelry, doesn't like diamonds. Then like, it's it's a blessing. Don't get me wrong, you know, but but at the same time, it's like, I want to buy you something nice. So I go to the Rolex store. Let me tell you, four rows, I can't even show you like that. Four rows, okay, like this, where you can have watches in this place. You know how many watches they had? There was at least 200 spots of shown watches that they could put there. You know how many they had? Three of them. They only had three watches to sell. Zero for men. It was three watches that they had. It was a Datejust 28 that one was a chocolate face, one was a silver face, and another was a, you know, another face that they had. I said, what's going on here? She says, well, first of all, Rolex was shut down for two months because of COVID. Then you have COVID. Then you have people that are not traveling. They're staying home, which means what? They have more money. So guess what people are doing? What? They're buying a ton of stuff. We have to be real and realize there's a lot of fake money right now. When there's a lot of fake money, there's fake valuations right now. Okay? Billionaires are flocking over to Florida. Every house I make an offer on, somebody comes in. I'm not a billionaire. So if I make an offer on a house for $18.5 million, the next day a guy comes in, hey, cash offer $24 billion. My realtor finally said, you're dealing with billionaires, buddy, and you're not in the billionaire community. So guess what? If you're making these kinds of offers, either make a real offer. This is not the right time to negotiate. It's the worst time to negotiate. So you, you get when you're looking at, and then like right now, if you want to buy a Daytona Platinum Rolex watch, okay? If you want to buy a Daytona Platinum Rolex watch, by the way, Jeremy, we can go 20 more. If you want to buy a Daytona Platinum Rolex watch, okay, a Daytona Platinum Rolex watch right now, good luck finding one. Good luck finding one. It's $100,000. You can't find one today. Why can't you find one? Because everybody has cash right now. People think last year, oh my gosh, market crash. Market didn't crash last year. Look, I'm not trying to scare people here, but there's very easy indicators to look at to know that the market is crashing. So forget about cards for a second. Forget about cards for a second. Set cards aside. Set cards aside. Let's not even talk about cards for the next two minutes. Let me give you a completely different perspective. 
the market is in such a big bubble today based on few basic data. Do you realize in the history of America, they say around $6 trillion of money has been printed, of which 20% of it was printed last year. Okay, let me let me say that one more time. Yeah. I don't know if you heard what I just I said. Heard right it. Okay. Go ahead, please. So six twenty percent of all the money ever printed in US was last year. And, and now we're doing 1.9 trillion. Go don't worry about it, just go print it. People are not struggling today financially. It's a seven percent unemployment. We've had seven percent unemployment so many times. Our interest rates is at 0%. Powell said he's gonna keep it at zero till 2023. What does this mean? Do you realize how long interest rates have been below 2%? It's been 2% since Obama took office in 08. And the only time it went up to 2% was in Trump's second year. After COVID, they brought it back down to 0%. Obama kept it between zero to half a percent for six years. The last I'm not trying to be negative here. Economic expansion was 128 months before COVID hit. Let me say that one more time. The economy expanded for 128 months. That's 11 years, two presidents, three terms. That's not, a, that's that's just, so so you're sitting there and people are saying, well, but, but you're just being pessimistic. No, okay. So when are cards gonna be fine till? The moment Powell raises interest rates, get ready for shit to hit the fan. So if you're buying and selling, do so till the end of 2022. But you better get ready for 2023 if Powell raises interest rates. Why? Here's the interest rates for it. I wish I had a pen here to show you. I kind of need the pen to show you this visual. Let me try to see if I can find this pen. Sure. See, this is, this sure. is the challenge that a lot of us are not. Uh, look, when it comes down to marriage, there is, babe, I love you. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Okay, babe, what's yours? What's mine? What do we get married with? Hey, <laughs> you have kids. When you have kids, there is challenges. There's fights. That whole makeup for six hours wedding, you know, oh my gosh, this greatest man for this. I love you. Okay, bills, taxes, health. Your parents, my parents, in-laws, keeping up with fights, our fights, our kids' fights, kids' health, kids' issues, someone dies, another funeral, another wedding. That's life. So what am I going to do? But I love her. Uh, that's just the beginning. You know, marriage is a lot more complicated than most of us think. And when we get married, we don't know what marriage is all about until you get married. Then you're like... Yeah, you know, I wish people would have told me a little bit more about marriage. This is why I say don't get married until the number starts with three, right? So watch this. Let me show you this and you see where I'm going with this. Interest rates, price, okay? This is an easy principle that I'm going to show you, okay? Here's what's going on today. Today, prices of everything is very high because interest rates are zero. The moment they raise it, everything's going to go down prices. That's a house. Look, basic math. If you get a 500 right now today in America, if you want to buy a house, the interest rate would chase bank for 30 year fix is 
You know, so mortgage payment on a $500,000 loan at 3%, 30-year fix is $2,100, okay? Do you know what that payment is if interest rates go to 6% on a half a million dollar house? $3,000 a month. You know what that payment is if a interest rates goes to 9% on that same $500,000 house? $4,000. When we buy a house, how do we buy a house? Do we buy a house based on interest rate? Do we buy a house based on the value of the house? Or do we buy a house based on what we can afford to pay on a monthly basis? The answer is what? What we can afford to pay on a monthly basis. When some of these events change post-COVID, everyone's going to realize that 12 to 24 months of fake money, the price has to be paid for that. And my prediction is it'll be 2023. So the next two years, a lot of people are going to look good. They're going to look like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. But a lot of people are going to look like idiots in 2023. So brace for impact. All right. Well, th- <laughs> appreciate the analysis. I really do. And uh, gives gives us all something to think about, I'm sure. Okay. Let's move on to another topic, Patrick. Um, I've heard you say that progress stops in the absence of competition. All right. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that you are aware that in sports cards today, for each major sport, there's only one licensed manufacturer, one card producer per sport. An absence of competition, if you will. How do you think the modern hobby has been able to thrive under these circumstances of an absence of competition? The question becomes, is it sustainable? Has it worked? You know, can we go like this? How long can we go like this? Um, look, I, I think I think you have to you have to give credit again to the guys that got involved that are now making cards become stocks. I can own a one one thousand share of the Wayne Gretzky rookie card pop to OPG and say I'm a shareholder. Great. What caused that? We didn't have that 10 years ago. We didn't have that five years ago. What happened all of a sudden? It's innovation. Somebody thought about it and say, let's do this. Great. So whenever it gets the kind of attention that it gets today, what kind of attention does it get? Think about what people start now paying attention to the card industry. One is regulators. One is politicians. One is administrators. And the other is opportunistic entrepreneurs <laughs> and the monopolies don't last a long time when you all of a sudden are showing hey you know anything about cards no not at all well let me show you what happened what's that you know jordan right yeah i know the guy did you watch last dance i just watched your first episode were you a jordan fan not really i just know the guy's great i mean it was, you know so do, do you know his rookie card no nothing about it well you know about investments because you're a commercial real estate guy yeah i am okay so watch this this card Last March sold for 48. You know, it just sold two weeks ago for 738. What? How many of them are there? 300. You just mess with that guy's mind because he's a business guy. He's just doing math. He's not thinking about the car. He has no clue what FLIR is. If it's two E's or one E, he has no clue what that is, right? All he's thinking about is 15X. So I'm a flipper. I just bought the house for $48,000. I spent $28,000 into the house. I flipped it for $150,000. This guy bought the house for $48,000. Didn't do anything to it. Didn't put anything into it. Sat on it nine months late, 11 months late. So So now you're getting the real innovators that are about to get into our industry. And when the real innovators get into our industry, again, remember, my only sense of 
pessimism with the card industry doesn't have to do with the card industry. Let, let me restate that. It's very important for the audience to understand what I'm saying with this. Long term, if you're buying five to 10 years, you're going to kill it. If you're buying five to 10 years, 2023 is going to be a hiccup because the wealthier we are, the dumber things we buy. Let me say that one more time. The wealthier we are, the more reckless we are with our investing because we're so optimistic and our blind spots goes away. Ray Dalio is the 25th richest man in the world. He's worth 20 billion bucks. He wrote a book called Principles. If you've not read it, you got to read it. In the book Principles, he talks about blind spots. A lot of people today have blind spots. They don't realize how much blind spots they have because they're so optimistic because so many people are talking about how amazing it is. So many of them but they don't think about all the other stuff. So to go back to answer your question for you, I think capitalism prevails and I think there's going to be a lot of competition entering the card market, a lot. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing a lot of new uh, business models sprout up and, uh, but you know, my, my uh, I guess the, the spirit of my question, um, and I thank you for your, for your response, you know, a lot of people feel a lot of people and a lot of collectors feel that we need more competition in the hobby. There needs to be more than one card company making basketball cards, more than one card company making baseball cards, football cards, hockey cards, etc. And because, you know, I've heard you say progress stops in the absence of competition, yet, yet these cards are continuing to thrive. Ultra modern cards are thriving, even though there is no competition for these, for Panini Upper Deck and Tops in their respective, for their respective licenses. Panini being the one with basketball and football, Tops baseball and Upper Deck hockey, as you well know. So, you know, because you're, you're a capitalist, you're, you're a businessman. And I just wanted really your opinion on that specific, that specific state of the state of the, of the, of the hobby landscape right now. Do you think that the leagues and the players associations should open it up to additional licensees? Absolutely. But, but, but you got to know it's more than that because, um, okay. So when you complain about something, you have to be ready that the other side is going to complain about things that's going to harm you. And I don't know if that makes sense. So let me let me go layer deeper than that. So the collectors are saying what? It's unfair that there's really only four and, you know, they're upper deck and Panini and other. It's unfair. It shouldn't be that way. Okay. So who are you saying it's unfair to? The leagues. Okay. So the leagues have had this contract with who? The card companies. So if you're making that statement, you're going to hurt who? The card companies because they're going to open up a monopoly, open up a competition. Fine. Behind closed doors, who is probably supporting and funding those companies the most? Probably those Ford card companies that have signed contracts that you don't know the language in those contracts. You have no clue what the language in those contracts are and how it's set up. It may be that you will not allow anybody to get involved in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, there's always a contract, right, that's behind closed doors. When the Shah was running Iran, you know... <laughs> One of the reasons why he ended up being an exile in 1979, here's what most people don't know. In 1954, he signed a 25-year oil contract with four countries. You ready? <laughs> France, Germany, UK, America. 
1954, he signs the contract. When does the contract expire? 1979. He is now one of the richest men in the world, and he's about to raise the prices of oil on the next 25-year contract to the roof. So those four countries say, we got, get, we got to get rid of that guy. What happens in 79? Khomeini replaces him. There's so many different stories. Oh, he was a bad leader. He was this. It's 25-year oil contract. Nobody knew about it, right? So again, I don't have the details behind closed doors to know what's the contract, what's the details, what are they doing, what are they doing with the leaks. But here's all I will say. If you decide to go and have a battle with card companies, that's fine. The way you have a battle is you go into a room and you mediate and you negotiate. If you decide to have a war, it'll get public. If you decide to have a nuclear war, get ready to have the regulators to come and look at the market of cards. You're not going to want that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I made sense what I said. I don't want to go too deep into it, but that's my perspective. Yeah, no, I appreciate it all, man. And you, you hit you hit a few things on the head for sure. I mean, I think I think uh, the general understanding is that some of these contracts are five year deals. They with with some options to renew that sort of thing, and uh, a big part of it is that the the leagues are not interested in managing multiple licensees. I think that's a big part of it as well. And I'm sure the card companies, I know they they have to protect their exclusivity very tightly because it's their lifeline it's their it's their lifeblood so like you said if you open up the competition it's going to cause uh, it's going to cause issues for, for them They're, but but one of the the reasons why the collectors want that is because the collectors often say that they're that they're getting stagnant that they're not innovating as much which i don't personally agree with completely but that there's the lack of innovation a lack of, of creativity so that's the complaint from the collectors who don't who don't have the view into the contracts as you as you said. But I mean, just from a monopoly compet anti compet anti competition perspective, it's just something I wanted your perspective on. If you just, think that just that trust capitalism, believe me, trust capitalism. You know, when Rockefeller wanted to, you know, do a deal with uh, a couple of the other companies that had monopolies in America and they didn't want to do it. What did he do? He went and bought the tracks. He's an oil guy. The other guy's a railroad guy. He has trains. He went and bought tracks. He said, you want to play this game? I'm going to buy the tracks. What are you talking about? You need me. And you no longer can go on that route because I own it now. So trust competition. They're going to prevail. And remember, NFL had a long contract with one side. Then they switched and another person came in. And you have to know that these five-year contracts, they're going to come up and people are so, these four companies, right, four card companies are so scared right now because it's bringing unnecessary attention. I, I, you have to know that capitalism works because that unnecessary attention brings a lot of pressure for these four guys. They're not happy about what's going on the last 12, 18 months, but it's going to be fine for, because Capitalism, who, who always ends up winning because of capitalism? Who always wins because of capitalism? The consumer always wins because of capitalism. Never forget that. Consumer, all, and I know they say, no, it's not true. The consumer always wins because of capitalism. That's going to happen. Innovation's around the corner. Yeah, okay, that's good to hear. I'm glad you, you, you feel that way because I think a lot of people would like to see that. Okay, man, listen, I want to... I'm going to respect your time. You've given us an extra 20 minutes. I thank you. We've got great viewership, lots of comments coming in, but I haven't been keeping my eye on them as closely as I usually do. I want to do a couple of things before I let you go. The first thing is I want to let you know, I, I watched your episode, your, uh, your interview with Kobe Bryant. 
that now I want to know when did that occur? He he passed away January 2020. When how 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 uh, how much before that did you have that? August event? 2019. So a six or so months before he passed away, five six months before that. If that that interview in my in my mind, it was epic. I enjoyed it. I think more than I've enjoyed any other episode, any other interview out there. And I, you know, if anyone out in the audience, if you're watching and you haven't watched Patrick's interview with Kobe Bryant, go check it out. Another one of my favorites that I mentioned earlier was your interview with Mark Cuban. And I loved how you, uh, you mentioned to Mark Cuban in that, in that interview, you said to him that, uh, Oh, I'm a diehard baseball collector. I've been collecting baseball cars my whole life. He went on to tell you, you know, he kind of cut you off and he started saying, you know, I learned a lot of the business lessons that I use now. I learned those from buying and selling and collecting baseball cards when I was a kid. Okay. So my question for you on that is, can today's youth benefit in the hobby to the same extent, maybe not becoming a billionaire like Mark did, but are there still opportunities for youngsters Young people, which is always a challenge yeah. for us in the hobby. To, you know, that we're losing the kids, people say. I see a lot of youngsters. But my question for you is, like Mark benefited from the business lessons he learned at a young age, do you feel there are still opportunities for that for youngsters today? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and here's why. I, I, so, again, remember what will prevent this from happening for youngsters is if regulation shows up. If regulation shows up, no, they will not benefit from it. But regulation's not here today. So what do I mean by this? Okay, you know, trading cards, that's what business people do. They trade assets, they merge companies, they co-own, they have joint ventures, they go 50-50. Those are all accidental business lessons you're learning as a kid. You're sitting there trading and negotiating. I give you this card for that card. Why are you trading a Gary Payton for a Sean Kemp? Why are you doing that? Is it because you don't think Sean Kemp is a sustainability long-term because he doesn't have an outside shot? And Payton's a little bit more healthier, lower back problems he doesn't have, so he's going to play a longer game. So Sean Kemp may be more sexy today because he's got a 45-inch vertical leap and Payton doesn't. But long-term, Payton's going to be better, so I'm willing to trade. And the other guy's like, no, I'll take the Kemp because he's so cool. And you're like, I don't know, I'm going to go with Peyton long term. So these are all good things that kids do when we're trading and we're learning and you're losing. We're like, that that was not a good trade. The guy got injured. So now you have an asset that is not going to go up for the next year because he has an Achilles heel. So I think it's a wonderful experience for kids to go through with cards as long as regulation doesn't show up. If regulation doesn't show up, absolutely, I think it's a wonderful thing that kids are going through. All right. Appreciate that. Okay. My last question for you. And this one came from my friend Carvin Chung, who, as I mentioned to you before we went on, uh, invented Exquisite uh, and, and the cup for hockey when he was with Upper Deck. He's been with Panini. Now he's in distribution with GTS. Anyway, you wrote a book called Your Five Next Moves. I want to know if you will share what are your five next moves in the hobby? Oh, in the hobby. Yes. In, in, in the, the hobby. hobby. This is a sports card show. Yeah, in the hobby, I would, uh, I don't know if I'm going to reveal all of it, but I'll give you a couple of it. I'll give sure. you a couple of it. We'll take what um, we can get. I gave you one already. I gave you one already, which is, you know, the fact that I want one of the three Mickeys and I want to own that card is, is what I want. Even if it's a 51% ownership where it's my card, I want ownership of that card. Um, 
I have a, a list of names of players that I have here that I'm buying and I'm buying left and right. I have a, a, I keep my list of names of cards that I'm buying and it's a long list and each of them, it's different stories of why I'm buying some of these cards. You know, it's, it's, there's, um, there's many different uh, angles I'm taking with it. Who my, who I think is overdue for a movie. That's going to bring a lot of attention. Who, what's the age, who, you know, a, a real good documentary hasn't been made. Who is an undervalued card because they're so old that no one knows about him that all of a sudden if the story comes back up and people realize who it is, they're going to be like, wait a minute, what did that guy do? So I have a certain list of names that I'm going after uh, in the card game, but I would I would like to participate at the higher level with the company ownership position uh, because I think I can bring value to the company and uh, I have interest on that side. So, you know, uh, whether it's on the private equity side or it's on the uh, uh, actual card company, uh, I would like some involvement there. And I'll kind of just leave it at that. <laughs> Lots of speculation to come from that statement, uh, Patrick. I appreciate it. I appreciate you dropping that during this show tonight. Um, okay, that that's really cool, man. Well, um, man, I mean, it's been it's been a pleasure to have you, Patrick. I, I you know, I got to tell you, I've watched your interviews and you are what I would call a master interviewer. You, you do it so well and you the rapport you build with your interviewees is something that I really enjoy watching. Again, everybody, if you aren't watching Patrick's uh, content yet, go check out Valuetainment on YouTube. Great interviews, covers the gamut of culture. We're not just talking sports and business. He talks about everything and if you're new to investing in sports cards and i mean investing and you're investing somewhat significant amounts of money i specifically want you to watch his video from december the 15th where he really speaks to you in particular so patrick uh you know i i, I hesitate to let you go because this is so great but um i'm going to do that and i'm gonna we'll talk again but um i want to thank you so much for taking the time we've had we have great viewership tonight, Patrick. I thank you for that. Thank you for bringing more people to my channel, help, helping develop my audience. I do want to thank you for that as well, just from, from your notoriety. We've got great comments. And like I told you earlier, I usually go through a bunch of them and just sort of bring them up. Um, I'm just going to bring on the first two that came very quickly. Building Builders have said, been following Patrick forever. The man is a legend. Great understanding of economics and financial gain. Huge fan. I thought that was really nice. Justin Inventory said, this is absolutely crazy that Patrick Bet David is coming on tonight. Been watching you both for a while now. That's pretty awesome. Want to thank Justin for that. Uh, I could keep on going, Patrick, but I, I just won't right now. Maybe next time. So again, I want to thank you so much for joining me, everybody. Patrick Bet David, what, what more can I say? Jeremy, I got to say something for you, though. I mean, you know, uh, uh, regarding interviews, you know, you you made it fun. I'm I'm East Coast right now, 11 o'clock, and I just put the kids down. We've been running around all day today, and, you know, uh, uh, my team called me, and they said, don't forget the, the Zoom that you have with, or not the Zoom, but the podcast that I'm doing with you. And starting off at the beginning to where we are now, you're absolutely amazing at doing this. And you made it fun. You asked the right questions. Your sequencing was great. And 80th episode, I am looking forward to seeing this show blow up. So, uh, again, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the next time we come out and uh, 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 and, and seeing how the market's going to be the next time we have the conversation about cards. All right, man. Well, I will definitely be in touch and we will book you in again in the next six to 12 months, something like that. I appreciate your time. I'm going to let you... 
exit the studio. Patrick, thank you again very much. I'll let everybody else know. Carvin Chung is going to be jumping in the studio with us right away here. Carvin, come on in. I'll bring you on screen as soon as Patrick goes. And uh, we do have After Hours coming on later on tonight also with James Hummel. I also want to give a shout out, everybody, to supporters of the show, The Big Three on Instagram, The Big Three Hockey. Check out these guys. They showcase some of the finest sports cards in the hobby. Give them a follow on Instagram. They are on the ticker right now. Patrick, whenever you're ready, man, I thank you again. It's been great having you. I can't thank, thank you. you thank you for the compliments at the end. That means a lot Anytime. coming from you, especially. especially All the best. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Patrick. Whoa. What can I say, guys? That was pretty awesome. Thank you so much to Patrick for joining the show. I I, I mean, I'm just blown away. He and those compliments at the end. I, I felt giddy. All right. Let's bring Carvin on. Carvin. How are you, Ben? I'm good. I'm good. How about you guys? How's everyone I'm doing? How was that show? That was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I'm a little, uh, uh, I'm just really happy. And he, his comments at the end really made me, uh, just were really nice to hear from, from. A, he's, he's a master interviewer. I, his content is second to none, and he's got 3.3 million subscribers on YouTube. He's got like. Two point something million on Instagram. Uh, the guy, the guy's really built up a brand, Valuetainment, and the uh, oh boy, like just the the qual his interview with Kobe Bryant yes. is. I think that's going to go down in history. Carvin, can you get your head up a bit higher in the frame if you don't mind? Sure. I think, thank you. I think his interview with Kobe Bryant was one of the best interviews, sports interviews we will ever see, and right. it was six months before he passed away and yeah. if you if no one if, if anyone in the audience hasn't yet seen that interview i highly encourage you to go watch it because kobe is as just open and honest and raw as you're ever gonna see him it was so good and wow what what, what a thrill it was to have him and what what how awesome it is is it to have a guy like that who's you know making moves in the world uh, and he's part of, he's a collector. He's a collector just like the rest of us, but maybe on a bit of a different level, but still has that collector gene, which we discussed at the beginning of the episode. And I just thought it was awesome. So I want to I want to again to Patrick, thank you so much. We uh, and as you y'all saw and witnessed, we'll we'll be getting him back on again. It seems like uh, Sam makes the comment here, Jer. How are you going to keep this up? The guests are absolutely bangers. Yeah, I don't know, man, but you know what? I think uh, having Patrick on will perhaps open some more doors. So hopefully we'll continue to uh, to build on Sports Cards Live. And everybody who's watching, uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. If you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, I'm going to throw it out there now. There's probably some of the, some of you other who are new, but we've had on some of the best guests that any show in the hobby has from Dr. James Beckett's been on, on with us three times. We've had Ken Golden from Golden Auctions on, Jeremy Murray, who's the VP of grading for Beckett's been on, Brian Gray, owner of Leaf, has been on three times. He's booked again to come on in a few weeks. Uh, people from Panini, people from Upper Deck, Carvin Chung sitting right there, inventor of the cup, exquisite. I mean, we've had on some huge guests and uh, and I think Patrick is probably the, the most, uh, you know, well-known of everybody, but um, wow, was that ever awesome. So yeah, guys, give us a subscribe, hit that thumbs up, all those wonderful <laughs> things. And I want to thank Carvin. I want to thank Carvin who, um, you know, just gave me, uh, I, I reached out to Carvin last night and I said, listen, I've got Patrick Bet David coming on tomorrow night. His team has said that he's going to come on for 30 minutes. And I, I elected to have 
five to 10 minutes of those just with me and Patrick ahead of time so I could build some rapport with him because I'll be honest, I'm, I was intimidated. I was I was nervous. I talked to Carvin earlier today. He goes, so are you nervous? I said, dude, I've been nervous all day. I mean, I was, but Patrick came into the studio. He was a few minutes late, no problem. He came in, we chatted for about six, seven minutes. And I will tell you, just so you guys understand, he set me at ease immediately, immediately put me at, I was relaxed. And I think as you could tell, the interview went really well and he was just a, just a pleasure to have on. So, uh, but, but I want, I called Carvin and I said, Hey, we only have, we only have uh, Patrick for 20 to 30 minutes. Can you jump in after? And let's just kind of build off of what we talked about with Patrick. We're still going to do after hours, which is my second show on every Saturday night, which is going to start in about 50 minutes. So we'll sit with Carvin for about half an hour, 40 minutes. Then we'll end this broadcast. We'll come back with After Hours. My guest is James Hummel, and you guys can definitely uh, check check out that show too. We'll have a nice relaxed discussion on everything that James is into and a few other things as well. So, Carvin, I'm going to open the open it up to you now for a few seconds here. What, uh, what, what did you think? What were the big takeaways for you? My mind is blown. I love Patrick's take on everything. Number one, the fact that he sold his cards, never really talked about his Gretzky cards. Obviously, he, people who knew him knew that he had the cards. But then after he sold the cards, he came out and said, hey, I was the owner of these cards. So number one, not many of us knew he was a card collector. I watched his podcast. I didn't know he was a card collector until he said that I sold these two cards. So I was kind of shocked. I was like, hmm, I wonder who owned these cards. It was Patrick Bed David. So number one, that's that's great. Number two, master in, interviewer, great podcast, and even his story. And I love that he he loves telling stories about his cards because I always say that on Instagram, like don't just put pictures. I know it's a picture type Facebook, social media, but I want to see stories. Like tell us your journey to get the cards, how you got the cards, why is it important to you? All these other elements. I know that when I post pictures, people say, well, you have a lot more stories to tell. Yes, I do, but so does everyone else. Tell us why you want that Kobe card or want that Gretzky card or a Crosby or Connor McDavid. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about it, not just the pictures. A pictures can tell a thousand words, but anything above a thousand words has to come in the form of words, not pictures. Yeah, so, something, that, something that Patrick did was he he's got stories, but he he's has these analogies to the real world, right? To the to the greater economy, to politics, uh, it really frames the way that we look at the hobby on a much more almost macro level, and forces you to to think outside the the hobby box, if you will, if you will. Well, I mean, let's look at his his uh, his storyline. I mean, his the history of him coming in from Iran all the way to the United States, and I believe in 1989 around that range. Uh, being in part of LA culture in 1990 and just his journey of being who he is and how successful he is, you know, working at Morgan Stanley and now being part of a, a part of a, a equity fund and insurance, financial advising and the team that he has that he's built. It's just an incredible story for someone coming in from Iran at that time. Uh, and, and the fact that he collects cards just is an addition to everything. But what I like about it is that there's been so much talk about Vegas Dave and Gary V. Vegas Dave, we all know his background. We know Gary V's background. Finally, we have someone from the financial background giving us some his evaluation and his look of everything. I mean, you know, I've been talking to a bunch of people and say, hey, exactly what he said. I said exotic watches are through the roof right now. 
toys are going through the roof, comic books are going through the roof, all collectibles are going through the roof. So when is it going to stop? Sneakers are going through the roof. Everything is going through the roof. So so is it going to stop? So obviously, the gray area between what Vegas Dave is saying and Gary V is saying, it's somewhere around there. And we don't know what's going to happen in 24 months. And when, when, he, had, when he had mentioned the 20% printing uh, mintage of all the U.S. dollars, I just heard that this last week. So that tells you a lot of reasons why perhaps maybe people are moving into alternative assets, Bitcoin or gold or precious metals, because you don't have, you're hedging against the currency evaluation, right? So, so it makes a lot of sense when you think about it and why Tesla's buying Bitcoin, potentially now MasterCard's taking Bitcoin. So, so, you know, I'm looking at more of the financial aspect of what's going on post pandemic at this point. So I've been looking at that the last, the last week or so, but that's, yeah. it's bang on. It's really bang on. And I just love hearing it from him, his take on everything and his analogies. I, you know, me, I love, I love analogies. So it's yeah, always great for sure. That. For mm-hmm. sure. No, you know, he, and it's pretty consistent with my, my personal outlook and I'm not, I'll never tell the audience or post on Facebook or Instagram and say, this is what's going to happen in the hobby because I can't tell the future. Patrick can't tell the future. You can't, Gary can't, Vegas, Dave can't, no one, no one can tell the future, but we have our own opinions and theories and that's, that's totally fine. That's valid. We're allowed to have them. Mine is, is that, yeah, the hobby, we've seen these 5x returns or value increases the growth has been astronomical in the last 12 to 18 months and even the last two months it's we've seen two to three to five x on certain cards i think that the growth rate is unsustainable i don't think anyone disagrees with that the growth rate cannot continue and i asked patrick you know so when once it plateaus what's going to happen after that is it going to retract and he said of course it will and i believe that too i believe of course it's going to retract Where I don't know if I agree with Patrick, and I don't know that I even got the answer out of him, is how much is it going to retract? And if we use the Jordan PSA 10 just as a as a barometer for this, you know, forty forty fifty thousand dollars to seven hundred and thirty thousand dollars. I know one sold for six fifty or something like that recently. Once that finds its sweet spot and it levels out, and then interest rates go up, and those two curves that that Patrick drew for us. We start to move along those curves. How far does that price curve, how far do we move down the price curve before things level out again? And then there's some new change in in the economy that causes it to go back up. Because I've said for a long time that in my history in the hobby, which is 40 years, I've only ever seen it over the long term go up. The hobby, the indices within the hobby, let's say. We've had Values come down. We saw a big we saw a big surge in 2016, and then in 17, values came down. We we've seen surges throughout time. The 90s is the is the obviously the famous one, but over time they continue to go up, and I believe that's going to continue in the long term, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I also think that sports cards are going to be around as long as sports are around, because sports cards are an ingrained part. They've already been around for what, 140 years, if you go all the way back to the late 1880s, when they really first started in advertisements. So I don't think they're going to go away. The question is, once we plateau, how long do we plateau for? You know, right. we, we talk about the, the middle finger curves I'm seeing people talk about, right. where it goes, and it goes down, right? Well, it's going to go up, it's gone up. Is it going to plateau or is it going to quickly come back down? But where is it going to stop? Because where is that, where is that protection? Where is the support point? For the hobby in general, once the values start to come down, 
And then how long after that, Carvin and everybody watching? Until we start to see an increase again. We don't know the answers to this. It's all speculation. What do you well, think? I mean, ultimately, I mean, it's, it's like when we look at our retirement funds. You know, everyone knows that I worked at Upper Deck from 2001 to 10. Obviously, we went through 2001 was 9-11 and, and 2007-8 was the subprime issue, right? So I saw, I saw my 401k drop from, you know, to 40% of what it was worth. Then a lot of my colleagues or a lot of friends said to me, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exit out of the hot, exit out of the, 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 my 401k, I'm going to cash it out. And I'm saying, how about you? Are you going to cash out? You have a lot in there. I'm like, no. They're like, why not? I go, well, when I first started setting a, a retirement goal, I don't intend to take this money until I retire. So if I'm waiting for 30, if I was going to wait for 20 years before taking the money out, why am I taking it out now? Especially when I just lost 60% of whatever the evaluation is, right? And they're like, well, it could go down to zero. I go, it could, but it might bounce back. So I go, in fact, I'm going to start contributing more. So I think it's, it's just a matter of where the pricing is and what you have invested or your collection. And you feel that you need to get rid of it for some cash. And you heard Patrick say something really important back in 2010, he had to sell his Kobe refractor for $17,000 because he was going to go bank or not go bankrupt. He needed that cash flow to help his business. So just, you know, we know the success of his business. So that's $17,000. Even if he had to buy back that car today for $600,000, $700,000, it was well worth getting that $17,000 for his business. So we have to look at it that way. So in case of helping friends, helping family in times of need, cards are only an, an alternative asset so i think most importantly if you're not comfortable with where it is uh definitely you know sell it and then if you want to enter back in later you can enter back in but over as patrick had mentioned over a period of time maybe it's five years ten years you will see these assets appreciate and i think that's the key if, you, if you're holding on for long term then hold on to it for long term if you feel that you can you need to get rid of them and maybe buy in a lower price you know, being like a day trader or in sports cards, a flipper, and then that then go up, go by all means. I mean, no one's going to fault you for taking profit on stuff right now. You know, it's no funny. We, we taught, you know, he, so he sold the Kobe for 17,000 because he needed to, to capitalize his business. He needed to fund his business, which is a very noble reason to do it. And I'm sure that's paid dividends for him, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that far exceed what that, what that Kobe could be worth right now. It makes me think back in, you know, in the first half of 2020, I have some regrets from the first half of 2020. I sold off five PSA seven Wayne Gretzky rookies for like for well under $5,000 Canadian. And now they're doing 10 US, right? So right. I'm a big loser there. I sold off two or three PSA nine Mary Lemuse for like 1500 Canadian. Now they're 10 grand US, right? Right. Some, some I sold off a second year Larry Bird and Magic Johnson for like $500 each. I was in them for 50 bucks each, sold them for 500 each. Now I don't now they're worth three grand each. And I said, I said live during the, the, the virtual expo, I'm going to regret these. And I, I do. But at the same time, I took mm -hmm. that money and I put it into something else, ca cardboard that did just fine. Maybe not as well as Gretzky's, but pretty darn close. So, you know, you have to you have to kind of look at the opportunity costs. You have to look at, you know, I, the reason I'm telling that story is because you said there, you can never feel bad about taking profit. I took profit, but it's yeah. like, you know, I could have held on longer and made more profit. I'm not someone who's good at timing the market. So I'm not going to sell my cards now because of the markets where it is only to plan to buy them back later. I would rather ride the high, ride the low and ride the next wave because that my experience 40 years in the hobby and really 20 well 20 to 30 
really, you know, really being serious about it. That's what I've experienced. And I, I believe that will continue into the future. So, so a couple of things to note, uh, even for myself, like I, I mean, in 2010, I, I moved to, I moved to, I actually went traveling to China and that's where I met my wife in 2011. I moved there. I had to sell off some wax that I had, including some Crosby wax, I, uh, Crosby cup wax, uh, some wax boxes of LeBron I put away a long time ago. And uh, man, if I, I sold it and probably right now it's probably worth 30 to 50 times what I sold it for. Right. I mean, that's a big man quote, but then, I probably wouldn't have gotten married. I wouldn't, wouldn't have a child right now. So, you know, part of the things that that's what you give up, like something that Gary Vee always says, you make decisions in life and certain decisions will lead to ultimate happiness. And you'll say, well, maybe if I'd taken this path, I would be worth more money. And then he makes a comment, well, maybe you're worth like, you know, 50 times or 500 times what you're worth now, but you got run over by a bus. Or you got, you know, you had a, a airplane accident or something like that we don't know. We can't predict what would happen if we take the other path. And then I always say about regrets or timing the, the market. We can never time the market. If we sit here and say we're going to buy Tesla, this Patrick Rob Tesla, at the lowest price possible to buy it and sell it at the highest price, everyone always says he's a safe. You know, just buy high. I mean, buy low and sell high. Well, you know what? If Tesla's going to go from thirty dollars to eight hundred dollars. Whether you pay 30, 35, 40, 50, it doesn't matter. You're still making a lot of money. So, yeah. so you got it. You got to, you guys to say, you know, I just got to jump into the marketplace. Or once you sell, you just can't, you got to say, you know what, I'm done with it. I can't worry about what I could have made. Yeah, for sure. You know, my, my, uh, my, my financial advisor told me a story a little while ago. He said that if you were to buy stocks on five days in the history of time only, five specific days, and those five days being, the days before the stock market crash. So we've had five stock market crashes in the last 80 years, let's say. Mm -hmm. If you only bought stocks the day before the crash, five times, five crashes, five days before the crash, you're up. You are up in the long run, even though you bought at the highs. You, right. If you would have bought the next day, you'd be up a lot more. But if you right. only bought at those peaks, here in 20, whenever you told me this story within the last year or two, you are... In the you're in the positive, you've made, and you've made yourself a pretty tidy return on your investment. So, timing the market is not something that I'm I'm doing or that I'm planning to do. In as far as my collection goes or the hobby, I don't buy cards. I don't buy personal collection cards to sell them. You right. know, until I'm on my deathbed, let's say, or I'm doing my my final the grand hurrah. And I'm gonna you know do the card show circuit for my last two years, whatever it may right. be. Hopefully, I get to that point but uh, yeah not not something that i'm planning to do and uh, but a lot of people do you know we have a lot of day traders in the hobby a lot of the the flippers i don't like the term flipper it has a negative connotation sort of sound to it and a lot of people think it's a negative thing i think they're just part of the part of the hobby part, you know it, it's yeah. there's a place for all those different approaches again it's as i like to say as long as, you're not, uh, as long as you're not committing uh crime fraud or ripping people off jump right. in it's it's part of the the sports card economy right we have needs for you know collectors we have needs for people to um like trade daily or weekly or monthly and then we have long-term investors you know so they're they're in it for the long run or guys are investing in wax so you know we have different aspects of different areas and every area that this hobby touches is a necessary part of our economy yeah there there, there are there's there's so many 
approaches available in the hobby. People always ask me, should I buy this? Should I buy that? What do you think of this? What do you think? It's like, you got it. You got to set some context. You got to figure out what you like. You know, that, that's, I think we're preaching the choir. We, we know that we've got a lot of advanced collectors watching right now. So I think everybody understands that. Uh, Carp, I want to take a couple seconds here, just sure. run through some of the comments that have come in because we've still got great viewership guys. Thanks for sticking around. Um, I, Carvin, Carvin will do that though. I know Carvin's <laughs> one of the guys, well, yeah, some of the greatest insights in the hobby based on his, if you guys don't know who Carvin is, Carvin, Worked, worked for Upper Deck and he introduced Exquisite to the Upper Deck line of brands in 2003. Exquisite Basketball was the first of its kind. I know a lot of you are advanced, you know this, but some of you aren't. The first $300, $500 pack of cards, he then did it for hockey with a brand called The Cup. Then he went to Panini, he revolutionized Dominion. He did a few other things and now he's still working in the industry. Carve, I just wanted to, to put that out there for you. I wanna go through a few comments, guys. I'm not gonna go back to the beginning because there were lots, but I want to thank you all. Uh, so I'm just going to do, yeah, Brent Criswell says, watched it last night. I think you're talking about the Kobe interview that Patrick did. Go mm -hmm. on to say, what card company do you think he dropped hints at tonight? Do not know, will not speculate. I just, I have no clue. Big unit, thank you so much. Nailed the interview. I, I appreciate that so much, man, so much. Chris says, does subscribe to the channel mean more than me subscribing to it on iTunes, which I currently do? Yeah, on YouTube, uh, if you don't mind. Subscribe to this channel on YouTube, guys. Just uh, helps the channel out, helps me continue to uh, to make these uh, videos and to put out this content. Uh, James says, felt like I was back in my university economics class. Yeah, so did I. Uh, we, we, he, he had, the, he had the, the laser pointer and whiteboard out for, for a little bit tonight, for sure. I like this. Terry says, slightly different level. Patrick buys PSA 10 and I buy 10 PSAs that add to 10. Yeah, right, right. LeBron, stay on that high. Huge guest. Thank you so much. Sam says, such a great show. Thank God for Sports Cars Live. I've been saying since day one. Thank you, Sam. Fire, awesome interview. Kudos, Jeremy. Thank you so much. And Rodman, my man, says, I'm extremely happy to be on the show. That was a crazy good interview. Thank you so much. Bobby Baseball, your authenticity is outstanding. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate that. Awesome. Rodman says, bring Gary V next. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is the stepping stone to getting Gary V on the show. I, I think it might be. We'll see. And if Gary happens to be watching or listening, man, reach out. I'd love to have you on the show. Bring on Vegas Dave. I have been in touch with Vegas Dave's assistant or somebody. He sent me. I got, an e I got a message saying, contact this person. I did that because Brian Gray from Leaf, the Leaf CEO, he's basically said, hey, I want to debate. I want to debate Vegas Dave, and I and I said, okay, well, let's see if we can make it happen. So we got we got one half of the debate uh, ready to go, being Brian Gray, and hopefully Vegas Dave wants to come on. We will see. I don't have I'm, I don't have my hopes up too high. I have higher hopes for Gary V. I'll put it to you that way. Terry Fortune, question for the architect: Do you know if Upper Deck has more Bobby Orr sticks? They only made two property ofs, and I wonder if there will be more. You got a quick answer for that, Carbon? It all depends on their acquisition. If they can find the. Uh the game you sticks available, then I'm sure they'll make more. Fair. LeBron 23 to six says you could tell he's a genius. His eyes are moving left to right while talking. That's cool. That's cool. When interest rates go up, that's when, yeah, we heard that uh, quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, okay. There's, there's too many comments for me to get through guys, but I, I really do appreciate them. Uh, yeah. Building says he did show on part of his collection and talked about them. Yeah. He, you guys, if you haven't seen his videos on his channel, he has a few that are sports card related. There's three or four where he specifically talks about sports cards and understand that he's a major influencer 
and he's not a sports card influencer like Gary V is, you know, like Jeff Wilson, a sports card investor is. He's not one of those guys that has tens of thousands, hundreds, or even millions. And he's got millions of followers on Instagram and, and YouTube, but he's not out there focused on sports cards. He's focused, he's focused on business and politics for the most part and some sports. He interviewed Kobe Bryant. He interviewed Mark Cuban. He interviewed Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street. You got to check out his library. It's almost as good as mine. I kid. He's got an amazing, amazing library of interviews out there. You got to check them out. And um, so what my point is that he's not out there deliberately influencing the sports card market. I don't think. I think this might be his first time he's been on another show talking about sports cards. I'm just flattered it was it was sports cards live. But it's again, what I'm trying to also say is that he's got 3.3 million subscribers on YouTube. When he puts out two or three videos or four that focus on sports cards, those people are seeing it. And in one of them, he's telling you why I think you should invest in sports cards. And I don't think he's doing it to blow up the sports card game. He did it after he sold the Gretzky rookies, if I remember mm -hmm. if I my timeline correctly. So, and that's just that's just uh, what we're talking here. He, he's you know no slouch. So let's uh, a couple more comments here. Sports card review. So Patrick bet David was the warm up for Carvin Chung, legendary. <laughs> there you go, Carvin. <laughs> he was the opening act okay. for you. Stephen mm -hmm. Trans says, "My man Carvin, could we talk about the most underrated card in the game, Crosby Cup RPA?" Well, Carvin would love to talk about the Crosby Cup RPA because not only is it one of his legacy cards, he also recently acquired a card, a copy okay. of that card, for his legacy for his daughter. Carv, you have anything you want to say about that? Nah, definitely. I mean, I, I think uh, Crosby, I think hockey cards in general are really underpriced. I know that the the older vintage cards or the sub-modern cards like the 70s and 80s are now starting to move up and there's a lot of tension but uh, up to the 90s. But even current cards are going up now. I think it's really underpriced. Everything is shot through the roof. Basketball, football, baseball, soccer, and hockey is really just the, the remaining sport that has yet to really rise. And for disclosure, I do have a lot of hockey cards, so people do know that I have hockey cards. Yeah, <laughs> so we've, you know, hockey has been the beneficiary of some of the market craze <laughs> as of late. We've seen, you know, just for example, uh, a Mark Messier PSA 10 rookie card. You, used, you could get that for $2,500 a year ago. Now it's like $25,000, $23,000. Like we have, we have seen, and I don't know if it's the general, uh, you know, the general growth within the overall sports card market that we've seen since the, all the equity and the fractionals and COVID, or was it more directly related to the fact that we saw the Gretzky Opichi rookie that Patrick sold through Heritage sell for 1.29 million? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows for sure. It's probably, you know, a convergence of all of these factors that led to it. And that's okay. It is what it is. So, but I think hockey has, we have seen a little bit in hockey, but it's still fallen behind what we've seen in basketball, football, sure. those sorts of things. I like this. LeBron says he's interviewed gangsters too. Very interesting. And Daniel Busby says his best interviews are with the mafia. It's a great watch. And I forgot to mention that he's interviewed mafia where they're, you know, they're, 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 uh, censored out. You can't see their faces. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Like the guy's got, I keep coming back to it. He's interviewed Kobe Bryant, which now puts me, I feel like at one degree of separation from Kobe, <laughs> you know, he's no longer with us, which is very sad and unfortunate, but kind of cool there. And Mark Cuban, one of the most famous and popular entrepreneurs 
in our times. So, you know, he's got, he's got connections. He's got, uh, he's got his finger on the pulse. And um, as someone mentioned earlier, he's no dummy. That's for sure. He's more, more genius than he is dummy. So a couple more comments quickly, Car Franco Dubs. What impressed me the most was that he knew Winnipeg hated Edmonton, right? This guy has his finger on the pulse. I thought that was awesome too, Franco. Uh, Canner collects this. He's got a list of names and he held back. Well, I would hold back too. You know, if I'm if I'm honing in on four or five guys, I don't want to say it to a few hundred people and all of a sudden they get snapped up on me. So Fine. one thing to share your buy list with people, it's another thing to hold a few back so that you're not giving away all your secrets. And I think right now with so many people with eyes on the hobby that if you are still trying to stay ahead of the curve, if you do have some targets out there that may be, you know, kind of lesser known, you might want to keep those closer to the chest. And maybe that's what Patrick was doing. Comments on that at all, Carbon? Well, the one thing of, uh, about what Patrick said was, was really interesting was that capitalism, capitalism is always great for the consumer. And I know we always had this debate even between you and I about uh, competition and monopoly, like, you know, exclusivity. And as I always said, you know, if you have an exclusive with a manufacturer or sorry, manufacturer has an exclusive with one of the licensors, you, it's your competition comes within your own group, within your own company. And there's other issues like marketing and marketing dollars being spread out. Uh, the market actually getting more mess, messy because one company will say, hey, this person's doing, this company's doing that. Why can't I do this? And you got to give in. So the, the supervision, the watchdog uh, aspect of the business gets really difficult. So there's, there's elements that a lot of people don't realize behind closed doors, there's a lot to it. And of course, dollars and cents make a big difference too. So, so we got to factor that in. And and I always say this to the collector: always be careful what you wish for, because if you got competition, who knows? You guys may be completely out of the equation now. You might not get the cards that you will actually thought you were getting. So, just be careful what you wish well, for. It reminds me when uh, when Panini got the basketball exclusive and the hobby was up in arms. They were like, "Oh no!" So it's going to go to all stickers, right? That right. was. There was a panic. There was a panic. I forget what year what year that happened, but you know what was it, in the late two thousands, early twenty tens when Panini got the exclusive. Do you know when it was? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. I I have from some pretty vivid memories of you know the the and at that time, excuse me, there was no Instagram, very little Facebook. It was all really message boards and just people talking at shows. And uh, the hobby okay. was up in arms. Not I too. I can go back to the one day and remember, and I always bring this because we, we experienced this together. Jeremy had the opportunity to go to the hand packing of 0708 Cup, I believe it was. It was 0708 or 0809? 0809. 0809, the, the Stamkos year. And I always said that when you go to the pack out, the hand pack out, the first hour, you're like, ooh, ah, look at that card, look at that patch. And then it was like, Wait a second, Jeremy. We got we got a job to here. <laughs> we got to pack these cards. It's not going to pack by themselves. Going ooh ah, we can't we can't focus. We guys got to keep on working like a production line and getting these packed out. And and I think after about five hours, Jeremy goes, "Oh my God, this is a ton of work. <laughs> I don't even realize it." And you know, Jeremy was was sitting there with a tripod and the camera, trying to take pictures of the patches. Meanwhile, we're trying to pack out the stuff, and and his back was hurting. He was he was in just going through torture yeah. with but the pack. That was day one. That was day yeah. one of four long days working in that warehouse doing that work. And, and I always said that, as I always told Jeremy, be careful what you wish for. And I think Jeremy kind of understood more when that after that experience, be careful what you wish for. We look on, we look back on it and have fondful memories, and we have 
you know, we had some great times together during that those four days. But um, during those four days, like the second day, Jeremy's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I, I committed to this type type of work and this journey. Well, yeah, it was it was physically strenuous, physically, you know, because you were do I was doing the same thing for so many hours and we weren't we were working like if I remember like from 8 till 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. with very short breaks to go get food. Not that we were on the clock. We just had the, it had to get done by the time we flew out, right? Mm -hmm. so yeah. I remember, but you're right, Carvin. You you said to me, listen, you're going to come to the pack out and I just hope that you, I hope, but I doubt that you're going to love sports cards as much as you do after as you do now. Right. And And there was an element of truth to that because when you're touching all these cards and you have you know, 99 or whatever, you know, 99 of the Steven Stamkos RPAs go through your hands and all the property ofs, all the shields go through your hands and you're looking at these all, it becomes a little repetitive versus, you know, a case hit, you're lucky to get a shield, you know, maybe one, one shield out of every 10 cases, here's 50 shields in front of you at one time. It's like, ah, so another shield, let me see, you know, type of thing. So, but lucky for me, I maybe because I'm such a diehard, it didn't taint me. It didn't taint me much. But I will say I do I don't really collect RPAs anymore. And I don't know if it's because of that experience as much as it's because of just the lack of in my for me, the lack of, of patch security and on on an, an archived system, an archived database of those so that we we know what we're getting. It's just there's just too many fake patches out there for me. And so I've uh, I've 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 moved away. But there are a lot of people out there, myself included in the past, who who built archives of patches so that there is some historical uh, photo. There are some historical photo archives out there for hockey. I'm assuming someone did some for basketball and football as well back in the day. So speaking of all that, Carvin, the cup, uh, Franco lets us know this Wednesday, the cup releases. It is. And, you know, for the first time, I'm hearing that we're looking at like a thousand dollars a pack out of the gate. Uh, you're in distribution. What are you hearing uh, for the cup? Well, I mean, $1,000 is probably the retail price on it. Um, that's what I'm, I'm hearing as well. And uh, it's just it's breaking new records, right? So as you know, we always say a tie lift all boats, the hockey boats getting lifted now. So you're, you're seeing the pricing increase. And remember, I, 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 I joke when we talked about this like three, four months ago when everyone's like, Oh, we want all the basketball guys and all the other sports guys to buy into hockey. I go, well, just be careful. Once again, I always say, be careful what you wish for because if Upper Deck Hockey is up to four hundred dollars a box, are you guys going to be ready to open a case of Upper Deck Hockey at four thousand dollars to five thousand dollars a box or a case? So that's that's the influx of the collectors. Yes, if you're a singles collector, you might not say, "Well, it doesn't affect me," but it will affect you because the prices of the singles go up too as well. So yeah, just, just, and you, you know, know, be careful what you wish for. You're right, man. And, you know, so, but, but you have to think and like Patrick, the, the, the theme of Patrick and capitalism will always win out. He said, yes. you know, you have to think that if the prices are that high <clears throat> and it still sells through. Yes. The card companies, well, upper deck in this case, just, I mean, and the distributors and the retailers for that matter must just be like, well, well who cares? It's sold through. We're making right. more money than ever before. That's good for us. It's good for our shareholders. It's good for our employees. Right. It's good. We can pay rent. We can we can staff up now. All that sort of thing. So that that's good for everybody there. It's the regular everyday 
average Joe collector who used to, and I know there's a lot of guys out there would save up for one pack of the cup, one tin. It comes in the in a tin. People would save up for one tin of the cup all year for four, three, four, five, six hundred dollars. You know, it's gone up over the years. Now those people aren't going to be able to have that one thrill, that one thrill that they waited for every year because of the influx of non-hockey collectors coming into hockey and buying up the cup because there's opportunity because they see opportunity because where the hobby is at overall right now so but again like i just said at the end of the day who cares it's selling through it's gonna make its way into the market my concern and it's not it's this is a selfish concern but my concern as a collector of singles as a most of my activities on the secondary market is, am I still going to be, able, are we going to see as much of the cup being broken and the singles making them way into making their way into the hobby this year as we have in past years, because there's a huge trend right now, Carvin, I'm sure you'll, you're well aware of it, of people sitting on wax, investing in unopened product. Is right. that going to be the case here with this year's cup where we might see the, the lowest rate of opening that we've seen since inception? I, I don't think so. I, I think the, Primarily, most of the hockey is being sold in Canada, I believe, and just some pent-up anticipation. So, obviously, when with group breaking, it lowers the entry level, even with the higher case prices, box prices, uh, maybe going to three-box case breaks instead of six-box case breaks. I think I think there's still an opportunity for people to enter and and enjoy breaking, maybe not by themselves, but with a, in a, in a small community. And I, and I think we're going to see... The reason why cup is also going up is because the the supply of cup in the last few years is completely almost gone now. It's very little cup out there, and part of the reason is I think it's it's other people, other sports, or people that are buying other sports saying, "Hey, wow, hockey is actually a really fun rip now." Because you know, a, a couple of boxes of basketball cards is like five thousand dollars, whereas in hockey. $5,000 can buy me up to like three cases, four cases. So some sometimes, and I always talk about value. There's three types of value when it comes to trading cards. The first is obviously the real value. So whatever you rip open and, and you can sell it on eBay, that's what you recover back. That's what we call the real value. The second value is the perceived value. So you get a, you know, a Lafreniere young gun and you're going to say, oh, that's a $300 card. I know it's probably dropped off a little bit because of performance, but let's say it's 250 You say, hey, that's a $200 card. Whether it sells for a hundred, you feel good because you hit a $200 card and you're, and, you're, and you're perceiving it that way. You get a nice, you know, insert of Connor McDavid. Might be only selling for $20, but in your mind, it's a perceived value of, let's say, 100 or another box. So as we talk about trading cards, the trading card business is a repeat purchase model. It's not a single purchase and it's done. It's always a repeat purchase model. So it's important for people to have that perception like, I'm doing well, I'm going to buy another pack or another box. So percept, perceived value is important. But ultimately, the last one... Uh, uh, value that I'm a little bit concerned about is what we call entertainment value. And and really entertainment value is what's key when we talk about involving kids and involving a family unit, opening a box of cards, collecting a set. And I want to just you know tell people, hey, it, it's really important for us to teach our children to collect, to collect the sets, make sure that they have, they pay attention to the base cards. Because when, when we go back to grassroots of collecting, you and I, for sure, Generation X, we didn't have inserts. We didn't have autographs. We didn't have jersey cards. You know, you like Jets. I like Maple Leafs. 
you got a jet in your, you got a Dale Howard in your pack. You're like, yes, I got Dale Howard, my favorite player. And same thing for me, you know, Mike Palmiter. I know he was a you know, couple year wonder, but I mean, that Mike Palmiter, I was like, oh, Mike Palmiter, like, you know, I guess this guy's flopping over everywhere. And, you know, one of the great goalies uh, back in the, the 70s and 80s for the Maple Leafs. So, so I just, I just look at it as you got to bring that enjoyment back to kids. Like I would go to the back and look at stats, look at, oh, how do I calculate ERA? How can I calculate GAA? You know, all those elements. And, and in fact, I think trading cards help improve my multiplying and division, you know, and I think it helped a lot of people. And I think we need to bring those grassroots collecting back to kids, teach them what collecting is about when we were younger, not so much like ripping open a pack and getting a, a high price card. And that's what I really, I really like the, you know, in Canada, we have the Tim Hortons cards, you know, we yeah. have the national hockey card day up here in the U S there's national baseball card day. These are important initiatives by the card companies to, to right. get kids involved. I'm a big fan. I, I put it out there to everybody. If you have base cards lying around, you know, a box of them from whatever, put them into team bags of 10, give them out on Halloween, make sure you're giving away candy too. You don't want to just give away the cards, but give right. card, give kids cards and candy they love it. I, I've been doing that for 10, 15 years now. And uh, and kids come back because they know that they can get sports cards when they come to my house. So pretty cool. I want to touch on one thing because we talked about, well, we're, in terms of the, the rate of opening product, so the cup, for example, mm -hmm. one of the things that Upper Deck does is they put an expiry date on their redemption. So <clears throat> I was recently talking to somebody about, hey, let's say I had five cases of of the cup from 0506, 0607, 0708, whatever years they were. Would you be interested in those? Are those something that, that would sell now? What would those be worth? And the response I got was, well, Upper Deck, Upper Deck, uh, ca ca they, 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 they cap their redemption. So there, there's no redemption value. So if there's any big redemption cards, and oftentimes there are, those cases aren't worth as much as they would otherwise be. I see that as a problem, personally, personally. You've worked at Upper Deck, Carvin. You're in distribution. I want to know what you think the right thing is. Now, I understand there are other constraints. There's other business processes. There's other risks and liabilities. There's financial statement reporting, take res taking reserves and allowances on your financial statements, all these things that come into play that, that, that require administration. Do you think that's the right approach to cap the uh, to put a deadline on redemptions well there's it's, it's definitely you have to have it um for legal reasons to an expiry date um the the tough part is is always you know you you have like a crosby redemption per se and then you have a guy for like let's say a, uh let's say a, i don't know bring up a name like yuri tulusti right I know, and this one, so for example you have like redemptions for both of them right and and obviously, the attention for Yuri Telesti is, is going to be a lot less than a, a Sidney Crosby. However, for every single person that gets that redemption for Yuri Telesti, they always say, well, why do you treat Crosby better than Yuri Telesti? And once again, it's it's when you get these feedback that always hurts the position of the card companies. Like, you know, Crosby will always sign his cards. You don't have to really worry about Crosby. Like the main spokesman, obviously, we know what happened last year in January and something like that is just catastrophic and tragic. But in, in most cases, most spokespeople will be signing all their autographs. So the key cards will be there. However, you know, over a period of time, like how long do these card companies keep on holding the cards and storing them? Uh, and majority of the times, cup stuff like National Treasures, Cup, uh, Flawless, 
uh, going to tops like Definitive and obviously Transcendent, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, more and more, the companies realize which cards are the very high valued cards and they try to remove the redemptions, try to wait for it, delay the product. Um, if, if they're necessary, they'll, they'll try to send a rep to, to witness the autographs and get them in-house. So they are trying to make efforts to do so. Uh, however, with that being said, if you get a redemptions, you know, you can only call and say, hey, you know, is it possible to do something? And it's up to the card companies at, at that point. And I apologize for that. But um, majority, like in, in terms of basketball or hockey, back when I was there, we always try to wait for the Jordans to come in, the Gretzky's to come in, and the Crosby. The top part is always going to be the duels, triples, quads that you want hard signed. And that's another thing that people was like, well, it has to be hard signed. I don't want stickers. Well, that now extends the process, right? So. I I remember when we were at the 0809 packout for the cup. I remember uh, one day, whatever, whenever it was, you came, you came into the room. You're like, guys, we got, we got. I think it was Kopitar. Somebody, the Kopitar autos are here. I was like, hallelujah, we got the, we can pack them out. Where are those redemption cards? Let's make sure we take those out, trash right. them. Let's put the real cards in because they came in at the eleventh hour. My, but right. my bigger concern, not, I won't say my bigger concern. My concern with an expired redemption is that my understanding, and I might be way off on this, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that the investability in upper deck hockey unopened product mm-hmm. far is far beneath that of unopened Panini basketball and football because they don't expire. I might be wrong on that, but this yeah. is kind of my understanding. The person I talked to when I put that that hypothetical situation about old cup cases, they said, well, the problem with, with the cup is that it's upper deck and they, their, their, their redemptions expire. So does that put hockey at a disadvantage as far as its investability? And this, the collectors don't care. This is, I mean, they care, but they care because it's not good for collectors. If these, if the, if this unopened product isn't being opened because fewer cards are getting to player collectors and team collectors and set collectors. But does it put hockey at a disadvantage from an overall value perspective? Number one, you have to do your research. Anytime you buy something or you sell something, you have to do your research. So you would have to say, hey, which cards are redemptions? Which card, which big cards are redemptions? If it's a, a shield card that's a redemption, the chances are of that happening in one of your cases is probably very rare. But if it's a Crosby, I mean, like I said, from the old upper deck cases, we would always try to get all the key rookies into that because it's a big chunk of chunk of cards that we're waiting on. And if we had to delay, and you saw a prime example, you know, we, we were packing out, we we're ready to pack out redemptions, and Kopitar comes in, we get tracking, done, it, it, we throw them away, right? And in fact, there are times when we have redemptions, we actually look at getting rid of some of the redemptions and not even packing them out. So if we get them in late. And we can we have the redemption cards. We can use them for swap outs for people to help for the PCs if necessary. Uh, third of all, and I think you probably saw some of this. When we give you a redemption, typically we give you a huge hit with the redemption. So if it's a not a not a case hit redemption or a box hit redemption, but even with a box hit or a case hit, we try to balance out that pack so that you hit a redemption, you're like, oh man, I got a redemption. You're like, oh look at this patch, look at that. That kind of saves my box even with a redemption. So we try to do that when we hand pack stuff. The oh yeah. Stuff- I- Hand pack is different. So I can definitely relate and, and vouch for that and, and you know co- corroborate that because I remember packing out packs with you. So when back to when I was at the pack out with Carvin and and, and uh, Josh and the other gentleman that was there and a couple of their, there was a team. Um, Josh Zeusman was there yeah. uh, yourself and I forget the other the other Matt sort of Brownlee. Matt Brownlee was there. Matt Matt 
Matt? Yeah, that's right. So um, I remember that my role was to photograph the patch cards before they got to the packout station. And so I finished my job on day four before you guys did. Yes. And then I moved, I moved to the packout station. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I packed out several packs myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like sifting through the, the, the sleeves of cards to find better cards, thinking to myself, who, whatever collector opens this, they're going to get a bit, something a little bit extra because right. I, because you had a collector there filling that pack for you, even though you have no idea about it, but that was a lot of fun. And I got to kind of put my own little touch on some of those cards, which is really cool. Well, I mean, that's, and that's, you know, even when, when I was packing out individual packs, I would think of the psychology. So there was a pack that was open. Um, I think uh, one of the Instagram people are opening or showing back pack break from 10 years ago. It was 09, 10, exquisite. And they, the second, the third card was a redemption card. They're like, oh, a redemption card. But I already knew, like, I mean, obviously I knew back then and I still know now. Right behind that redemption card usually comes a LeBron or a Jordan Auto. And sure enough, it's a LeBron dual Jordan Auto. They're all freaking out. And the last card was a... I believe it's up to Jersey card, but typically I always like to put the redemption card right before the big hit. There's the letdown of a redemption card, and then all of a sudden, the just the revival of your in- energy and, and being enthused about the pack again and going, "Wow, look at that hit!" This now you forgot about the redemption. So that was that's, that's some of the psychology we put in the hand packing. It was kind of fun to to do that and to see that live, and then you're like, "All right, that's good." I'm well, that. That speaks to the entertainment value that you mentioned earlier, right? You, it also speaks to actual economic value when you get to get a LeBron or a Kobe or a Jordan Auto too. But obviously, that's entertainment value as well. So, okay, man. Um, I, I'm gonna. I just want to do a couple comments here. Building says uh, Patrick coming in your show is amazing. Great job getting him on, and hopefully this helps more people in the hobby discover one of the greatest card shows going. Thank you so much, Building Builder. Greatly appreciate that. Goes on to say, hope you reach a million followers. Well-deserved. Well, that'd be a big number. Thank you so much. Uh, Carvin, very specific question from my buddy Mike here from Eastridge Hobbies. He says, Carvin, was 2002-3 Topps Jersey Edition the first NBA Logo Man patch? I don't know which came out first. I believe the first ever Logo Man patch was actually called Logo Mania in 0203 Upper Deck Series 2. So there was three Logo Man um, patches. And I'm not even sure if these were genuine logo man patches the the ones we're talking about jersey edition perhaps they are i don't i don't recall because i didn't work for tops but the ones that were in ud series two there was three logo man autographed nba logo mans and it was uh, michael jordan kobe bryant and jay williams because we had jay williams as an exclusive spokesman who was our spokesman that year so it's uh it's a horizontal i believe it's a horizontal card but um look for it i mean i know some collectors have it on instagram so I couldn't answer for tops. I, I apologize. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, that's no problem. Well, there you go, Mike, if you're still listening, um, there you have it. Okay, man. Uh, Hershey's cards jumps in. Carvin is the man. I could listen to him talk all day. There you go, Carve. Thank you, Hershey. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, Carvin's been on, this is your third or fourth, this is, I think your fourth time on, on the show with me here. Yeah. And yeah. obviously we'll, we'll get you on four more times over the next year or so. I'm sure I don't want to bring you too close together, right? We got to get people, excited yeah. about having you back but um we'll definitely get you back again guys we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up i'm gonna take about a 10 minute break and then we're gonna start the after hours show which is again brand new broadcast you can go if you want to watch you can come to the main uh sports cards live youtube page you'll see that pop up in a few minutes 
Feel free to join us. James Hummel will be my guest. James's approach to the hobby, which I find to be really interesting, is he's he collects the direct to consumer cards. So the tops now, the the um, the the upper deck. Uh, re- I don't even know what they're all called, but we'll let him tell. Carvin, you know what they're called. What are they? What are they all called? Uh, upper deck is game dated moments, right? And, and for Panini, it's called instant. Panini, and then Tops has the Tops now. They got the Project Twenty Twenty. Now they have Project Seventy. And James is a he's he's pretty much like an expert in all these things. So I don't know much about it. I'm looking forward to having a nice, relaxed discussion with him for about an hour. We're going to start that in about ten minutes. So. Uh, everybody, again, thank you for watching tonight. Carvin, thank you for joining uh, at the last minute last night. I appreciate you making yourself available. And uh, again, thank you to Patrick Bet David for uh, for joining us tonight and bringing his uh, experience and knowledge to the audience. Really appreciated that. If you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, guys, after tonight, you kind of have to. So please do. I appreciate it. Hit a thumbs up and all those sorts of things. And um, Fowl Fieball, thank you so much. I much appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You always do. So thank you for your continued loyal viewership. Greatly appreciate it. And everybody else out there, oh, what does Bobby Burrell says? Bobby says, I would love to get three uncut sheets from 1984, Opeachy instant winter card, but realistically, the boxes are meant to be opened. That is the risk you take. LeBron, thank you so much for joining tonight. Thank you. Thank you to you as well. Carve, any parting words from you? No, I just want to say that uh, my mind is blown with uh, Patrick's uh, interview. You did a great job, uh, as you. always, Jeremy. And uh, I'm I'm glad to play second fiddle or to, to fill in the, the gaps today. So I appreciate it. And uh, until next time, everyone, uh, have a good night and thank you. Okay, guys, thanks again. Chris Carter, thank you for subscribing. Greatly appreciate it. Everybody, we're going to end this one and uh, come join us on After Hours. See you shortly. And if not, we'll see you next saturday my guess is mike phillips from upper deck i unfortunately i'm not sure if his exact title but it's pretty senior so we're going to be able to get some tough questions out and asked and we'll see what he says but uh you know they're aware that we're going to do some tough questions with him we got brian gray coming back on march the 6th leaf ceo always always a popular guest very interesting check that out one of the one of the best guys in the hobby march 13th paul lesko He's the legal analyst in the hobby. He's going to come back for the second time, and we're going to we're going to catch up on what's going on in the hobby from a legal um, legal action sort of perspective. So again, that's it. We're going to end this. Carve, wait, hang tight for two seconds. Everybody else, good night. And if not, we'll see you in a few minutes on After Hours. Thank you for joining. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.